tell you what I'd like to do tonight. Let's do this when we when we end in prayer tonight. Let's just we're going to do it like we do our uh, like we do our Saturday morning men's prayer meeting. Uh, Saturday morning at eight o'clock we meet in here and uh, we gather right down here in these first few rows uh, and we take we go over some prayer requests and then we split up in twos. We get a prayer partner. We just split up and we kind of head out. So when we pray tonight, let's do that. Let's. Uh, I'll give you something to get all nervous about while we're having Bible study. How, how's that? But let's do that. We'll, we'll take our prayer requests and things, and then uh, we'll just break up into groups of two or three and pray together, and then that's how we'll end our service tonight, all right? And those of you men who would like to join us on Saturday, if you like doing that tonight, we do it every Saturday morning. Come and join us. Uh, we have a wonderful time of prayer together, and I think it's important that we pray for one another. Scripture says we're to do that. And so let's do that tonight. We'll just close out a prayer time after our Bible study. Uh, maybe you get a prayer partner, and we'll do it like that, all right? Judges. We are going through this book, a survey of the book, and we're coming close to the end. We've got this week, and Lord willing, next week, and we'll wrap this book up. We have not gone through an expositional study. There's different ways you can go through a book in the Bible. One way, of course, is expositionally, and you go verse by verse, and you look at everything in that book. And then there's what we've did. We've did a, a survey of the book. You can also go through a book and pick out various topics. The book of Proverbs is a wonderful book to go through topically because from chapter 1 to chapter 31, there are these, there are these key topics that you find. For example, you can go through the book of Proverbs and do a study, a good study, on the wise and the foolish because the, Bible is, or the, the Proverbs are always contrasting the wise and the foolish. You can contrast the, right, the righteous and the evil. Or it'll talk about the wicked man and the strange woman. Or it'll talk about business practices. So Proverbs is a good book to go through, look at topically. We've chose with the book of Judges to survey the book. And by doing that, what, what I've done is hopefully given you some practical lessons by looking at various people in the Bible who aren't always in the limelight. Uh, of course, Gideon is highlighted in this book and Samson, but Eglon is not uh, Ehud and Eglon. We don't talk about them all that much. And so it's good to go through a book like that. So tonight we're coming to chapters 17 and 18, talking about an Israelite named Micah and how he created his own religion. He just decided to make himself, uh, he, he decided to call up his own religion. So we're going to uh, look at these chapters that immediately follow the story of Samson. And I think I mentioned this to you last week. After Samson's story ends in chapter 16, there are no more judges found in the book. There's no more, uh, no more men or women who are proclaimed to be judges in this book. So these chapters are unique to the rest of the book. Really, you could have ended the book of Judges at chapter number 16 and then had another five or six chapter book, and we could have called chapter 17 through the end of the book, we could have called that book, Israel Goes Crazy, because they do. In the last part of this book, it is just tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. The rejection of God is so blatant in chapter 17 and following, nobody's looking to please God. It's an amazing end of this book. Chapter 17 and verse number 6 sounds very much like the last verse in the book, chapter 21 and verse 25, where it says, 
In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's exactly what was happening. Well, when that happens, you know it's not going to be good because Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 15 says the fool, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes. Well, that is what is going on from the top to the bottom of Israel in the book of Judges from chapter 17 through the end of the book in chapter 21. Israel just goes crazy. Making this observation, I put on your worksheet, it's unmistakable how closely America resembles Israel today at the end of the book of Judges. Everyone doing right that is in their own eyes. Whatever is in uh, their opinion right or wrong, then that's how they live. And they give you that same liberty. The problem with that is you and I don't get to choose what is right or wrong. But that's what's happening in the book. When we look at news stories today or we hear reports out of Washington that are being uh, given to us, we are reminded that our nation is full of people that are doing that which is right in their own eyes. It says this early in chapter number 17. It's, it's at verse number 6. And, and it lets you know why you're going to read what you're going to read for the rest of this book. You're going to read these things because everybody is just doing what's right in their own eyes. They're making it work for themselves. So we're going to look at these two chapters tonight, 17 and 18. And we're going to see the results or the consequences in the life of a man who lives his life this way. I'm just, well, I'm just, this, is, this is what's right for me. I, I hate hearing that. Well, this, this just, just feels right for me. I, I don't like hearing that. I don't like the phrase, well, this is my truth. I, I don't like that, my truth. I, I, it's just way too subjective. Um, God has told us what is truth. Jesus, Jesus in his prayer, right? He said, um, uh, thy word is truth. So we don't get my truth and your truth. What we concern ourselves with as followers of Christ is God's truth. So what does the Bible say about that? So let's look tonight uh, at the, I, I've entitled this uh, study, What More Do I Have? And it's a question that this man Micah asks. We meet this man Micah in chapter 17, but his story is going to carry over to chapter number 18. So, uh, and, and we're going to divide these two chapters into four sections. So let's read a little bit and see how this is, see how this is going. It opens up just a, an amazing story between a man, an adult man, and his mother. And there was a man, uh, uh, chapter 17, verse 1, there was a man of Mount Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said unto his mother, the 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from thee, about which thou cursest, and spakest of also in mine ears, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my son. And when he had restored the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had hoped, Listen carefully to her words. I had wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord from my hand for my son to make a graven image and a molten image. Now, therefore, I will restore it unto thee. Yet he restored the money unto his mother, and his mother took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to the founder, who made thereof a graven image and a molten image, and they were in the house of Micah. Let's just stop right there. That's a bizarre little four-verse sto four story. 
the first thing that comes, uh, the, the, the first thing that um, we read about him is he's confessing to his mom he took her money. And she turns right around. Instead of knocking him upside the head or whacking him on the hand, she turns around and invokes God's blessing on him for returning money that she has determined she has dedicated, rather, she's dedicated to the Lord for the purpose of making a graven image. It would have helped us if verse number six had been verse number one. You talk about people doing what's right in their own eyes. Well, let's jump into this. I've divided chapter 17 and 18 into four sections. And that first, that, that, that verse, the verses that we just read, that's our first section, Micah and his mother. Micah and his mother. Or his mom, if you prefer not to be so formal. And we're going to break that up, first of all, by looking at his crooked thievery. His crooked thievery. The first thing that God wants us to know about Micah is that he is a thief. And we don't even get hardly past his name where he's confessing to his mom. Mom, you know that money you were cussing the other day because it got taken from you? I've got it. And, and if that, it's not saying it ended up by accident in my room. He, he goes a step further, doesn't he? He says, I took it. He not only says in verse number two that that money is with me. He says, I took it. His crooked thievery. He takes his own mother's money because he thinks it's better off with him than it is with her. He's got better plans for, uh, he's got better plans for her money. I think this situation is all over our country. I think there are sons and daughters all over our nation, maybe all over the world, but I can only speak to America, that are using, abusing, and stealing from their parents. It's a corrupt, it's a corrupt thought. The mother who had raised him, who gave him birth, who protected him when he was a child, who fed him, he takes all of this money from her. Instead of honoring her, he's dishonoring her. And that's what's going on, that's what's going on in our country. Children who take advantage of their aging parents. Well, even more bizarre than him stealing that, his crooked thievery is her response. So not only her crooked thievery, would you notice too her convoluted thinking? Her convoluted thinking. And I'll say this. That's evident in our nation, too. When you listen to some people, the way they try to logically explain something, it is so hard to follow what they're saying because every point of their argument is wrong. You don't don't know where to start. Well, her convoluted thinking, it's revealed in a couple of different areas when uh, when she starts speaking back. First of all, he confesses to stealing her money. 1,100 shekels, that's a decent amount of money. The first thing she does is calls for God to bless her good son. She ends verse number, verse number two. And his mother said, blessed be thou of the Lord, my son. She calls for God's blessing on him. It never entered her mind to discipline her son. I don't care if he's an adult or not. Stole 1,100 shekels of silver. He needs to be, he needs to be called into, into consequences for that. And I would pause right here and say to parents or grandparents who are raising their grandchildren, this is a very dangerous practice. 
not disciplining your children for wrongdoing, but excusing them and making excuse for them. That's a dangerous practice. You are setting them up for a lifetime of failure. One of the best things we can do for our children is to discipline their disobedience and reward their obedience. Don't do one without the other. If you just only reward their obedience, that's out of balance. If you only, dis, uh, if you only discipline their disobedience, that's out of balance. As parents, we do both of those things, and what that does is it helps them to make good choices. Oh, when I choose this, then I've got this consequence. When I choose this, I have this reward. Well, you don't have to be a very bright kid to figure out. Let's do this and get a reward. Don't allow yourself to fall in the trap of withholding discipline from disobedient children. Raise them according to the nurture and admonition of God. First, her convoluted thinking is revealed in her, her uh, uh, call on God to bless. Second is the fact that she's dedicated, did you catch that? She's dedicated this money to God to make a graven image. I mean, she's using all the right words, isn't she? Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. Yet in her convoluted thinking, in her worldly-based wisdom, she's dedicating something to God in order to violate that same God's commandments. Try to logically argue with that woman and you will give yourself a migraine. Her thinking is so messed up. Blesses her son for stealing, dedicates money to the construction of a graven image, dedicates that money to God. Her convoluted thinking. What an absolute, what an absolute mess. I think I left it on your, on your worksheet, but I hope I did. She led her son to idolatry instead of leading her son to the Lord. Moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, show your children Christ. Lead, don't lead them to worship. Things don't lead them to worship. Accumulation of, of wealth don't lead them to, uh, to worship. Any of those things that the world offers, lead them to Christ. Not to idolatry. Idolatry is anything that we place before Christ. I, I, that list is probably longer than I have time to, to make out. Lead them to Christ. This, is, this picture's convoluted thinking. She could have had a great spiritual impact on her, on her son, but instead she introduces him to idol worship. And I'll, I'll come back to that thought in a moment. She introduces Micah to idol worship by giving him a graven image, image and a molten image. Keep those two things in mind because they're going to play a big part in chapter number 18. In fact, they play a big part in the going forth of the nation of Israel, especially the northern kingdom. So this is Micah and his mom in the first four verses. Second thing, Micah and his ministry. And I'm using that word very loosely in this text. Micah and his ministry. Verse number six gives us the core of most, if not, well, gives us the core of all of the world's false religions. People doing what's right in their own eyes. They're worshiping any way they please. 
that verse is important for what the Bible tells us happens in verses 7 and following. It says there in verse number 7 that there's a young man out of Bethlehem, Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed out of the city of Bethlehem, Judah, sojourn, uh, to sojourn where he could find a place. And he came to Mount Ephraim, to the house of Micah, as he journeyed. And Micah said unto him, Whence comest thou? And he said, I am a Levite, out of Bethlehem, Judah. And I go to sojourn where I may find a place. I'm just looking for a place to live. I'm a Levite. So he's connected to Israeli or Jewish worship. Micah, in verse number 10, says, Dwell with me. And be unto me a father and a priest. And I will give thee ten shekels of silver by the year and a suit of apparel and thy victuals. So the Levite went in and the Levite was content to dwell with the man. The young man was unto him as one of his sons. And Micah consecrated the Levite and the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. Then said Micah, now I know, now know I that the Lord will do me good, seeing I have a Levite to my priest. I, I skipped a verse that, that, that will help you understand something. If you go back to verse number, uh, verse number five, watch what Micah did with those, with those images. The Bible says in verse five, the man Micah had in house of gods, little g and plural, red lights, sirens, all that ought to be going off. He made an ephod and a teraphim and consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. He created, in verse number 5, his own little temple and his own little religious system. His son is his priest. Then this young Levite comes along and, and you have this whole uh, story that follows on how he ends up being a priest. Micah and his ministry. The first thing I want you to see in verse number 7 is there is a wrong, there's a wrong person. Micah took idolatry to a different level. His mother gave him two articles to worship, a graven image and a molten image. The Bible says in verse number five, he doubled that, didn't he? He had the graven image, the molten image, an ephod, and a teraphim. He took idolatry to the very next level, and, he's, and then he rejected what God said about, uh, about, what, God's, uh, about what God said worship should involve and he takes this man who is is a levite by trade but not by birth did you notice that he's not from the tribe of levi he's from the tribe of judah but he's decided to pick up the work of a levite he's the wrong person for this job Micah's creating his own religion, and it's going from bad to worse. This was not Micah's decision to decide who gets to be a priest and who doesn't. God had restrictions on who could serve as a priest and a Levite, and they all came from the tribe of Levi. But the Holy Spirit goes out of his way here to let us know this man is from the family of Judah. He's the wrong person, verse number 7. The wrong position, in verse number 10. This itinerant Levite, by the way, we learn his name. Chapter 18 and verse number 30 tells us that this young Levite who's traveling around looking for a preaching job, his name is Jonathan. Jonathan. So he shows up and Micah, Micah thinks to himself there in verse number, verse number 13, he, or verse number 10 rather, he says, you can be a priest to me and, and I'll pay you to do that. Well, this guy's looking for a ministry job. 
And this guy, this Micah, he's willing to pay him 10 shekels of silver a year, going to give him clothing, a clothing allowance, and take him into his family. And what's better than having, what's better than having your son as your priest? Well, it's having, well, a real live little pet priest. This Levite shows up, and he welcomes him into his home. God had commanded all of the, the priests to come from Levi. This guy doesn't. He's in the wrong position. So he sells his services to Micah. God never intended his priests to come from the tribe of Judah. They were to serve, and another violation here is the priests were and Levites were always to serve the nation, not an individual. They weren't for hire. And yet this man has his own paid priest. This priest, or this Levite Jonathan, reveals his love for money. As soon as, as soon as Micah dangles ten shekels of silver and a clothing allowance in front of him, he jumps at the chance. That's something that's warned against in men of God in the New Testament, isn't it? Peter and Paul both talk about those men who might chase money in the ministry. Uh, the Bible says that one of the things that's to mark a pastor is not uh, that he not be greedy of filthy lucre, the love of money. Well, we'll see in a moment. You say, well, pastor, you're being kind of harsh on that Levite. No, because in the next chapter, he's going to be offered more money, and he jumps ship just like that. He has gone so fast, uh, he leaves a cloud of dust behind him. So you have the wrong person. That's Micah. You have the wrong position. This is this guy, Jonathan. And then this, verse number 13, this is a caution for you and me. There is a wrong presumption that's made here. Verse number 13, he's got his little gods, Micah does. He's got himself a priest, and this is his conclusion. This is what he presumes. Now know I that the Lord will do me good, seeing I have a Levite to my priest. Everything's fallen into place. All the plans I've made, everything I'm doing, now I know that God's going to, create, that God's going to bless me. Micah has self-created his religion, and it was all for his benefit. He doesn't have to leave his house. The priest lives right there. He's paying that priest. He's the sole person praying that, paying that priest. Do you think that priest is ever going to preach against anything Micah does? He's created this religion for himself, and he believes in verse number 13, mark that, he thinks he's pleased God. I'm saying that to us as Christians. We have to be careful what we say God will bless. Amen. Or we have to be careful saying, well, you know, God did this for me. I'm not saying God doesn't do things for us. Surely he does. And he does lead us here or lead us there. Absolutely. But be careful. Be sure when we stamp God's name to something, let's be sure it's God's work. I remember, and I, I think I've mentioned that to you before, when that... Uh, uh, when that revival broke out down in Florida years ago. In fact, it was down in Pensacola, Florida. That, uh, and you might remember, this was about 25 or 30 years ago, and barking became a form of worship in a church. And people were saying that one of the signs of being filled with the Spirit in this church was to get down on your hands and knees and bark like a dog. And they blamed that foolishness on the Holy Spirit of God. That's what's going on in chapter 17. 
Be careful about making wrong presumptions. Forget about the fact that he was not repentant. He wasn't repentant when he stole his mom's money. Forget about the fact that he's an idol-worshiping hypocrite or that he made up his own religion, all of those things. He's presuming God is going to bless him for what he has done. What is it that God is looking for that he can bless? It wasn't this. Psalm chapter 51, verse 15, 16, and 17 says, O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. You don't need all the trappings of religion. What is it God is looking for that he can bless? The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. It was not about religion. It wasn't about having little gods and a little priest. It wasn't even about, verse number five, a house of gods. It wasn't about the building. It was about the heart. God's looking for it in the heart. That's what God can bless. We only expect God's blessing when we walk in his ways. And Micah was not walking in God's ways at all. Not even close. So you have Micah and his mother. What a, what a messed up relationship there. Micah and his ministry. He's created a worship system that best suits himself. Keep that in mind. It's one man living in Mount Ephraim who's created a worship system with these two little gods, now four pieces of worship, for himself. Keep that in mind because it's going gonna, it's gonna to explode in verse number, or chapter number 18. Let's go to chapter 18. Micah and his misfortune. Micah and his misfortune. Chapter 18, verse number 1, says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and in those days the tribe of the Danites, or the tribe of Dan, sought them an inheritance to dwell in. For unto that day all their inheritance had not fallen unto them among the tribes of Israel. And the children of Dan sent of their family five men from their coasts, men of valor from Zorah and from Eshtael, to spy out the land and to search it. And they said unto them, this is, the five, this is the, the commission to these five spies, go search the land, who when they came to Mount Ephraim, came to the house of Micah and lodged there. So you get that? Dan is living, the Bible tells us, down at Zorah and Eshtael. They're living midway down to the southern part of the nation of Israel. They want more land for the tribe of Dan. So they take these five men and they send them on a journey. Go spy out land. Find where we can take it. They come to Micah's house. Verse 3 says, when they were by the house of Micah, they knew the voice of the young man, the Levite, Jonathan. And they turned in thither and said to him, who brought thee hither? And what makest thou in this place? And what hast thou here? What are, what are you doing here? They knew something was a little fishy. What are you doing here, Jonathan? And he said unto them, Thus and thus dealeth Micah with me, and hath hired me, and I am his priest. And they said unto him, Ask counsel, we pray thee, of God, that we may know whether our way which we shall go shall be prosperous. And the priest said unto them, Go in peace. 
Before the Lord is your way wherein ye go. Well, this is, a, this is an, interesting, an interesting passage. We're not going to take time to read this whole chapter, but can I summarize some of the things for you? Let's start with this spiritual inquiry that they make. A spiritual inquiry in verses 1 through 11. I can't tell you really how much time passed between six, chapter 16 and 17, between Samson's death and this story of Micah. We don't know how much time passed. We also don't know how much time has passed between chapter 17 and 18, how long this priest has now been in the house of Micah. What we do know is the tribe of Dan is looking to increase their, uh, their land allotment. So they send these five tribes out. When they come to Micah's house, they're just looking for a place to lodge. They hear Jonathan talk and they know him from down south. When they ask him what he's doing there, he says, I'm, I'm this guy's priest. You're a priest now. What does God think about our journey? And he tells them, oh, he's all for it. Go, go with it. I would pause here and say this to you. Be careful from whom you seek counsel. Be careful from whom you seek counsel. Too often Christians seek advice from carnal Christians or even lost people. That is a dangerous practice. And these guys asked the wrong person for counsel. They were not spiritually minded. The priest, the money-loving priest, he's not spiritually minded. It's, this, is a recipe for, this is a recipe for catastrophe is what's going on here. Be careful from whom you seek counsel. I want you to pray with this about me. Well, if that person's not walking with the Lord... They're going to have a hard time advising you the right way. Have good godly friends that you can go to and say, what do you think about this situation? Make sure that what you read in the Bible is, is agreement with, in agreement with what your friends are counseling you in. God will never, you've heard that before, God never contradicts himself. If these men had been spiritually minded, they would have known this priest lacked wisdom. He was out of God's will. They would have never sought his counsel. But they weren't spiritually minded either. And when, when they ask him if God's going to bless the trip, he says, yeah, sure, go ahead. It's going to be fine. I think he's a lot like today's false preachers and teachers. I think he just told them what they wanted to hear. I have people oftentimes call me and they'll say, can I come talk to you about something? And they don't want counsel they want confirmation. Their mind's made up on what they're going to do. They don't want to hear what the scripture says. They just want, to, they want their pastor to pat them on the back and say, yeah, that's what this Levite did. You don't want that. I don't want that. What I want to know, when my heart gets involved in something, I want to make sure that it's God's will. So I need somebody to say, yeah, that, that is, that's an, an agreement with God's word, Mark. That seems like a good plan. Or to say, you know what, I know you have your, your sights set on this, but maybe you should back off a little bit. Because this is, a, this is a caution that I see. That's what you want. You want someone giving you good counsel. So be careful from whom you seek counsel. This group of Dan, this, this group of spies rather from Dan, they're called Danites. They go north from where they're at. They go north and they come to this place called uh, Laish. Later on, they're, they're, they spy out this place. And it's interesting, we, we won't take the time to read this. But they go in there, and what they find in this, in this town of Laish, and I don't know how many people live there, these people are, are very laid back. They're not on guard. 
They don't have any defenses. And these five spies are looking for some land that they can go grab. And that's exactly what they do. And I, I, that just reminds me of that challenge in Proverbs chapter 4 that says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Don't let your guard down. Well, these townspeople in Laish, they're just laid back, having a good life, bebopping along, not paying attention to what's going on. Meanwhile, there are five men there that are looking this land over, and they've determined they're going to get this land. So they return back south to the tribe of Dan, uh, where the Danites were living, which is close, actually it's close to Philistia on the, on the western side of Israel. They go back south and they tell the people <coughs> what they're going to, uh, they tell the people what they've seen and what they should do. And in verses 7 through 11, they give their report and they say, well, let's go get it. And they put together an army of 600 armed men along with these five spies who know where they're going and they set out. This is their, uh, this is the spiritual inquiry that they made. And now they have, they are assuming God's blessing it. So they're going north again. Spiritual inquiry. The second thing are stolen idols. In verse number 12, remember those five guys that stopped in at Micah's house. They met the priests. They saw the gods, the little, the little uh, idols and things. And in verse number 12, it says they went up. These 605 men, they went up and pitched in Kirjath-Jerim in Judah. Wherefore, they called the place Mayanadan unto this day. Behold, it is behind Kirjath-Jerim. And they passed thence unto Mount Ephraim, came to the house of Micah. Then answered the five that went to spy the country out of Laish and said to their brethren, they said to the 600, Do ye know that there is in these houses an ephod and teraphim and a graven image and a molten image? Now, therefore, consider what ye have to do. They turned thitherward and came to the house of the young man, the Levite, even unto the house of Micah, and saluted him. And the 600 appointed with their weapons of war, which were of the children of Dan, stood by the entering of the gate. And the five men that went to spy out the land went up and came in thither and took the graven image and the ephod and the teraphim and the molten image. The priest stood at the entering of the gate with the 600 of men that were appointed with weapons of war. I want you to see what happened. They came to his house. 600 men stopped at the fence out front. Five men, very bold, walked into the house, took all the idols. They walked back out, and there's that priest with those 600 men. He, Jonathan then starts talking to them. And he, what are you all doing? What, what are you doing? And they, uh, when he starts objecting to them taking the gods because he's the priest of this house. They said to him, let's see, verse number 19, look at their response to him. When he objected to them taking him, they said to him, hold thy peace. Lay thy hand upon thy mouth and go with us and be to us a father and a priest. Is it better for thee to be a priest under the house of one man or that thou be a priest unto a tribe and a family in Israel? They're dangling money in front of him. Listen, this guy's paying you what, 10 shekels a year in one household? Jonathan, what if we could make you priest over the whole tribe of Dan? Come with us. Do you know how long he had to pray about that? He didn't. He was gone. The Bible says he, he took, look at verse 20. The priest's heart was glad. He took the ephod teraphim graven image and went into the midst of the people. So they turned and departed. They put the little ones and the cattle and the carriage before them. As they left, 
They put their families and their livestock all at the front so that the 600 men were in the rear because they knew Micah was going to be chasing after him with some men to come get his gods and come get his priests back. So these idols get stolen. That's what I want you to see before we move on. Part number four, Micah and his misery. You have his mother, you have his ministry, his misfortune, he was robbed, and now you have Micah and his misery. Beginning at verse number 23, they cried unto the children of Dan. Micah and his men come, and, and they get to there. They cried unto the children of Dan. They turned their faces and said unto Micah, What aileth thee that thou comest with such a company? I took my title from verse number 24. Listen to this, this response. Micah replies to the children of Dan, Ye have taken away my gods which I made, and the priest, and ye are gone away. Here it is. And what have I more? What, what do I have left? You took my gods. You took my priest. And what more have I? And what is this that you say unto me? What aileth thee? How can you ask me what's wrong? You've taken everything that I've banked my life on. You took my gods. You took my priest. Let's start with, uh, in verses 23 and 24, a painful realization a painful realization and here it is what have i more his folly or his answer rather shows the folly of religion without the true god and the misery that results of putting your confidence in or seeking satisfaction from a god that that doesn't exist he's absolutely lost how can you ask what's wrong? You've took my gods and my, my priests, and that's what a Christless religion leaves people. That's why people will go into a building and, and worship some type of God, and they'll leave that building, and they will be no more satisfied than they were. Now, that building may look like a football stadium, or it may look like the place where they have their money invested. But they will go into that building and worship and they will leave and they will be no more satisfied than when they went in. Why? Because it's a Christless religion. He had a worship system that, that involved nothing of the true God. What happens when people worship money or relationships or status or fame and those things are gone? What happens when what someone does in this life as a vocation, they retire from that and now they have, they have really no reason to live. There are a lot of people that are working into their late 70s and early 80s at jobs, not because they have to. They're doing it because they, they are that job. Be careful about that. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to work till you're 70 or 80. But don't do it because you can't imagine life without the job. It's worship, and it's an empty worship. Well, he's, he's really messed up here, and he, they take his gods, and they take his priests, and he asks that question, what have I more? What have I more? Verses 25 through 31, there is a pagan religion that comes about. First, I want you to, first in this uh, Micah and his misery, there's this painful realization I've banked my life on the wrong God. They took my God. I don't have anything else. But then I want you to see this pagan religion. I mentioned to you in chapter 17 
that those two idols that started all this mess, they're important. This mama who led, instead of leading her son toward God, led him to idolatry, it's important. What started out in a family ended up impacting and distracting the entire tribe of, of Dan. Pagan religion, verses 25 through 31. It says in verse 25, the children of Dan said unto him, unto Micah, he's crying because he doesn't have anything left. Let not thy voice be heard among us, lest angry fellows run upon thee and thou lose thy life with the lives of thy household. And the children of Dan went their way. And when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back unto his house. And they took the things which Micah had made, the graven image, the molten image, the teraphim, the ephod, and the priests which he had, and came to Laish unto a people that were at quiet and secure. And these Danites, look what it says, they smote them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire. And there was no deliverer because it was far from Zidon and they had no business with any man. And it was in the valley that lieth by Bethrehob. And they built a city and dwelt therein. And they called the name of the city Dan after the name of their father who was born unto Israel. Howbeit the name of the city was Laish at the first. And the children of Dan set up the graven image. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh, he and his sons were priests to the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. And they set them up Micah's graven image, which he made all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. I want to focus on this pagan religion. They kept his idols, they kept, and they told Micah to go back home. And then this story ends with violence and murder and pagan idolatry. They took, uh, they took these things and they slaughtered this, these people in Laish and, they, and the, t the whole time they're just carrying Micah's gods with them. I like what Warren Wearsby said about this. He makes a great observation. Picture this army and there's probably a dedicated group of men that is supposed to be in charge of these four little gods that they have now. Picture them carrying them from Mount Ephraim all the way north to Laish, which later becomes the city of Dan. And their job is to keep them with them. Warren Wearsby said this, idolaters worship gods they can carry. Christians work, worship a God who carries them. That was a great observation from, from such an obscure passage of scripture. But that's exactly right. Would you hold your finger here and, and look at what the prophet Isaiah said? Isaiah chapter 47 or 46, and we're going to read verses 3 through 7. Isaiah chapter 46, and let's start reading at verse number 3. Keep, keep that thought in mind. These guys are carrying around their gods now. God is speaking, hearken unto me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of Israel, the house of Israel, which are born by me from the belly, which are carried from the womb. I, I bore you, God is saying, and even to your old age, I am he. Even to the whorehairs will I carry you. I have made and I will bear. Even I will carry and will deliver you. To whom will ye liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be like? They lavish gold out of the bag and weigh silver in the balance and hire a goldsmith and he maketh it a god. They fall down, yea, they worship. 
They bear him, the gold image. They bear him upon the shoulder. They carry him. They set him in his place, and he standeth. From his place shall he not move. Yea, one shall cry unto him, yet he cannot answer nor save him out of his trouble. You see what he's, God is saying there? Israel, I, I carried you. I gave birth to you as a nation. I carried you, and yet you're taking your gold and your silver, and you're going to this smith, and he's making an image that you can carry around. Go ahead. Carry him around. Stand him up over there. He's not going to go with you, though. He's going to stand right there. You can fall down and worship at him, God says. You can fall down and worship at his feet, and you can cry out to him, but he will not answer you. This is the, this is the case that should have been made against the nation of Dan, and it should be made against our nation. You can't create your own gods and expect him to deliver. They just can't do it. This is what Dan, the Danites did with Micah's idols. They carried them off and they set them up in this. They set them up. The Bible says in verse 31, they set them up. Micah's graven image, which he made all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. You had a mother who had an opportunity to influence her son for God, to point her son toward Jehovah. She didn't. She instead gave him two graven images. Those graven images became the seed of idolatry in the tribe of Dan. Did you know this is the first tribe in Israel to make idolatry an official religion? Dan moved north. The tribe of Dan moved from the south to the north. They took this city, Laish, and, and they went... Uh, they, they went to it, and, and they established a false idolatry. It started with the failure of one mom, and those idols were made. And I, I say that because you and I are impacting, we're, we're, we're impacting the future through our children and our grandchildren. So lead them right. The, 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 the nation of Dan uh, became uh, became. Uh, a tribe that first established idolatry in Israel. Do you remember after Solomon dies, his son Rehoboam takes over. They have a fight. He has a fight with a man named Jeroboam. They split the nation. Jeroboam takes the, you remember this from your Bible history? Jeroboam takes the northern ten tribes, the nation of Israel. Uh, Rehoboam retains the southern part, becomes the nation of Judah. Jeroboam doesn't want his people going down to Jerusalem to worship. He says this, I don't want them going down to Jerusalem to worship because their hearts may turn against me. So he decides to make two golden steers for worship. You know the first place the Bible says he puts one of them? The city of Dan at the very top of the nation. Why, why was it so easy for him to do that? Because for quite some time, they'd already been worshiping idol, idol, idols. Micah's mom made it one decision, and look how it ended up. It opened up the, Dan, the tribe of Dan to idolatry, and it opened up the entire northern kingdom of Israel to idolatry. Dan is at the very top of the nation. You'll hear that, you'll hear that phrase in the Bible sometimes, from Dan to Beersheba. Dan's at the very top of the nation of Israel. Beersheba's at the very southern tip of the nation of Judah. It's, it, that's, that's how it, it talks about the whole nation of Jews fell for that. Well, that's what, that's what happened here. 
And then it says that in verse number 31 that they put this up. Verse 31 is mistakenly interpreted sometimes. Some people read verse number 31 and, and they say he took Micah's graven image and put them in the house of God at Shiloh. That's not what it says at all. It says that they set them up the entire time that the house of God was in Shiloh. Shiloh was not near Dan. Shiloh was 20 miles north of Jerusalem. It was in the southern part of the kingdom. And so instead of traveling all the way to the south to Shiloh, they decided they would, pla- they would place these gods up there and they had their own religion. Now they got Jonathan and his sons going to be their, their priests. And here's my point on that. The Danites, instead of worshiping at the tabernacle where they should have, chose to make worship a matter of convenience. It's too far to go to Shiloh. We can't be traveling all the way down there once or twice a year and make all these sacrifices. Let's just do it up here. After all, these two idols, this molten image and this graven image, they've been dedicated to God. It was an absolute choice. It was a choice made absolutely on convenience. I think there's a lot of that today. I think there's a lot of worship by convenience today, but we won't, we don't have to go there. Let's wrap this up. All right, here's our conclusion. Then we'll move to our prayer time. Micah's story, go all the way back to the beginning of chapter 17. Michael's whole life story is a story about living for self. It was all about him. I will take money from my mother. I will make a religion that suits me. I will build a God that suits me. I'll get a preacher that suits me. It was all about living for self. That marks religions that are without Christ and without the gospel. The worshiper decides who is worshipped and where they're worshipped and how they're worshipped. It's all about self. You have... You have that, that passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus talks about the broad way and the narrow way. That's really what this story comes down to. That broad way has all kinds of molten and graven images on it. It's got all kinds of places to worship and things to worship and manners of worship. And then there's this little dirt trail over here that a grader hasn't been on and it's rough to go on and it's narrow. But at the end of it, the Bible says, is eternal life. And there's only a few people going to find it. The, the choice comes down to, do I believe what God says and do I follow what God says? Or do I make my own worship my own way? Now, that's good teaching. Here's the preaching part of that. We get guilty of that ourselves. We pick and choose what we're going to obey in God's word. We pick and choose when we're going to church, whether or not we're going to tithe, whether or not we're going to, we're going to tell people about Christ. We pick and choose what we do. We're not allowed to do that. We don't get to create our own religion. This is what, this is what God said. This is the church. The church's head is my son. And the body follows the leadership of the head. So what he says about the church and how it functions and how believers ought to live, we have to do that. Don't buffet it. Don't go pick and choose in the Christian life what you want to do and what you don't want to do. Don't do that. Micah, Micah tried that, and it was just an absolute mess. Let's wrap this up. I just Let me recap lessons learned from this little story. All right? Lessons learned. Number one. America is a lot like Old Testament Israel. We're doing what's right in our own eyes. It's a mess. Number two, 
Be careful from whom you seek counsel. Make sure they're spiritually minded and biblically grounded. Micah's priest, Jonathan, was in no condition to offer spiritual counsel. Be careful. The third one, we don't get to establish how we worship God. In the Old Testament, it was at the tabernacle. If the Danites wanted to worship, they should have made their way to Shiloh. In the New Testament, it's in and through the local church. We don't, I, I, am, I am adamantly opposed to the concept of home church. That's not known in Scripture. The Bible gathers together a group of people into a local body. They may meet in homes, but it's to function like a church functions. Um, we, we've, we need to be careful about making religion up for ourselves. What does the Bible say we are to do? Then let's just do it. And so church, uh, be, be aware of the subtle infiltration of worldly thinking when it comes to worship. The subtle infiltration of worldly thinking when it comes to worship. I, I know there are, there are, uh, there are um, uh, allowances for different things. We have chairs. Some churches have pews. Neither are ordained in Scripture. Uh, we sing a lot of hymns. Other churches may use praise and worship music. That goes, that, that's, that's a non-issue uh, non if the music is right. There are some hymns in our hymn book that we do not sing here because the doctrine purported in them is wrong. So what I'm talking about is, is the worship of God, the conduct of the church. Those things, don't negotiate those things away. Don't let the world influence us on that. Stay true. Stay faithful to God. Man, Micah's mother just messed up royally, didn't she? She messed up royally. And it, in the end, it created an avenue for the entire nation to be led into idolatry. What an absolute mess. Uh, and, and then I just, again, the title of that Bible study, it just reminds you what religion leads to. Just an empty, emptiness. They took away his gods. Nobody can take away my God. Amen. They can blow this church up. The government can come in and bulldoze this building down. They can't carry off my God. We have, to be, we have to be faithful and stay faithful to the word. And uh, I so wish that Micah's mother, I so wish Micah's mother had been more committed to Jehovah and less committed to idolatry. What would the nation, let me, let me just, just think about this. What would the nation of Israel look like in the top half of the country? What, what would the top 10 tribes had looked like had Micah's mother not introduced idolatry ultimately to the tribe of Dan? That could have been a whole different story, but it wasn't. Parents and grandparents, do, uh, do right by your kids. Amen? Let's, uh, let's move to prayer time tonight. I, 